This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Camouflaged Crocodile final pet moments, the aurora from space, and more. Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 321 for February 5th, 2023. And since today is Sunday's episode, as usual, I'm covering the latest news and rumors that caught my eye for this past week. So let's head on over to Petapixel first and see what they have for us today. Camouflaged Crocodile Portrait Wins World Nature Photography Awards. The World Nature Photography Awards, WNPA, has announced its winners, and German photographer Jens Coleman has won the grand prize with a portrait of a crocodile lurking in dry mud in Zimbabwe. The incredible photo earned Coleman a $1,000 award and the title of World Nature Photographer of the Year. Coleman's image bested thousands of entries from around the globe as the organization says photographers from nearly 50 countries entered the competition. Coleman learned of his victory via satellite message while in the field in the Central Kalahari Game Reserve in Botswana. Coleman had to be highly cautious when capturing his winning photograph. Quote, I had to be very careful not to disturb the crocodile, even though it was buried in dry mud, says Coleman. They will launch themselves with tremendous speed and power at any animal foolish enough to come too close. We congratulate all our winners and offer our deepest thanks for capturing such spectacular images of our precious planet. Adrian Dinsdale, a co-founder of the WNPAs, says... Once again, we hope it provides great motivation to us all to do everything we can to protect the Earth for future generations. The WNPA is now in its fourth year and is one of the world's leading nature and wildlife photography competitions. Its goal goes beyond showcasing talented photographers and stunning photos. The competition also aims to contribute positively to the health of the planet. The organization partners with ecology to plant a tree whenever someone enters the contest. The 2022 winners span various categories, including those focused on animal portraiture, behavior, fine art, nature, photojournalism, underwater, urban, black and white photography, and more. The winning images from each category are showcased below. Coleman took the top prize in the animal portraits category. And I highly recommend that you stop by and check out this article, which you can find the link to in the show notes of today's episode. There are some absolutely stunning images in this article of the various images that won the various categories for this year. The silver and bronze award winners for each category are showcased on the World Nature Photography Awards website, where rules for entering next year's competition are also available. So congratulations for having the winning photograph, Jens. That was definitely an amazing shot. And it's so cool because the crocodile almost completely blends into the dry mud. And all you can see is the yellow of one of his eyeballs. Quite amazing. Moving photos capture people's final moments with their pets. 
A photographer has set up a nonprofit which offers free end-of-life photo shoots for pet owners. The Tilly Project was created by Portland-based photographer Lauren Smith-Kennedy in 2021 and began as a small Facebook group. Now the international nonprofit has a database of over 1,400 photographers around the world who offer their services to grieving pet owners and capture the tender moments families share with their beloved animal companions as they say goodbye for the final time. And again, definitely check out this article in the show notes. There are some beautiful, touching images in this story. Quote, this photography acts as a tool to allow families to navigate through their own grief journey while having tangible memories of their pet's final stages of life, Smith Kennedy tells Petapixel. Quote, many times scheduling this type of session can also allow the families to come to terms with anticipatory grief. Smith Kennedy has shared some of the beautiful and moving images that the Tilly Project's photographers have captured for pet owners across the globe. Smith Kennedy, who works as a director at a wildlife center, began the Tilly Project after she experienced her own loss when her cat Tilly passed away in a freak accident. The traumatic experience expired, inspired her to use her photography skills for a good cause and help others who were experiencing the loss of a pet. Smith Kennedy began offering free end-of-life photo shoots to other pet owners as a way to always remember their animals. She also began collecting the names and information of other photographers who were willing to offer the same service. And there are some just touching images in this story. In less than two years, the Tilly Project went from being a Facebook group to a nonprofit and valuable end-of-life pet photography network that provides resources for pet loss and bereavement. It also serves as a support system for those who have lost or are about to lose a pet. Quote, there is a high demand for end-of-life pet photography. Many families want that chance to celebrate and honor the lives of their pets who mean the world to them. Some weeks I will receive hundreds of inquiries, Smith Kennedy says. Quote, when I am doing my end-of-life sessions, I give lots of prompts. Instead of poses, I love to encourage those authentic, real moments that will then be turned into precious memories. Individuals can sign up to become an affiliate photographer with the Tilly Project on the nonprofit's website. Quote, we welcome photographers of all skill levels, Smith Kennedy explains. We do require photographers to have an online gallery that displays their work so families are able to see this portfolio prior to connecting. She adds, we have a mix of photographers who offer this service for free and those who charge as they have a photography business. More information on the Tilly Project can be found on the nonprofit's website, Facebook group, and Facebook page. More of Smith Kennedy's work can be seen on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And I think this is a wonderful thing. I think that this is a great idea for a nonprofit to help those families, because a lot of people don't stop and realize, especially if you're not a pet owner, that people become majorly attached to their pets, especially pets that they've had for a long time. You form a bond with that pet, and most of us come to think of our pets as children. So it's definitely wonderful that this group is offering this service, mostly as a nonprofit service, as a volunteer service to families around the world. Absolutely unreal photos of Aurora from space shows how big it was. Astronaut Josh Cassanda captured this incredible photo of the Aurora Borealis this week from his perspective on the International Space Station, which gives some perspective of just how huge the phenomenon was. 
The solar winds are particularly strong right now, which is allowing the aurora borealis to be seen from much farther south than is typical. Not only is it showing up in the skies of southern England, which is already unusual, but it's also been photographed over Death Valley in Southern California. An infrared image taken by the Visible Infrared Imaging Radiometer Suite, or VIIRS, on the NOAA-NASA Suomi NPP satellite capture what NASA describes as a ribbon of light over Canada, which gives an idea of just how strong the aurora was in late February. An aurora is caused when electrically charged particles from space enter Earth's upper atmosphere at a very high speed. These particles originate from the sun, and as the peak of solar cycle 25 gets closer, the intensity of the aurora can grow. Quote, a solar cycle is traditionally measured by the rise and fall in the number of sunspots, but it also coincides with increases in solar flares, coronal mass ejections, or CMEs, radio emissions, and other forms of space weather, NASA explains. These bursts of magnetized plasma and energetic waves from the sun's atmosphere can energize the gases and particles in Earth's magnetosphere. What is perhaps most interesting is that last year when it began, NASA said that solar cycle 25 was expected to be about as strong as the previous solar cycle, which was below average. But contrary to that, a hole in the sun's corona spat out an unusually large plasma release in February and was followed by heavy solar winds, which have resulted in supercharged aurora effects in the Earth's night sky. Cassandra's photo from his perspective on the ISS visualizes just how large this week's supercharged aurora was, as it appears to wrap around huge swaths of the Earth and extends into space. Perhaps most exciting is that the peak of the solar activity is still two years away. NASA expects the solar maximum will be reached sometime in mid-2025. So that's truly incredible, and that is a stunning image of the aurora borealis that Josh was able to capture from the International Space Station. Definitely recommend that you check out that beautiful image in this article in the show notes. Why are so many Gen Zers drawn to old digital cameras? The latest digital camera boasts ever rising resolutions, better performance in low light, smart focusing and shake reduction, and they're built right into your smartphone. Even so, some Gen Zers are now opting for point-and-shoot digital cameras from the early 2000s, before many of them were even born. It's something of a renaissance, and not just for older cameras. The digital camera industry as a whole is seeing a resurgence. Previously, industry revenue peaked in 2010 and was shrinking annually through 2021. Then it saw new growth in 2022, and it is projected to continue growing for the coming years. But why? One explanation is nostalgia, or a yearning for the past. And indeed, nostalgia can be an effective coping strategy in times of change and upheaval, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, is just one of the disorienting shifts of the past few decades. But my research on people's experiences with technology, which includes photography, suggests a deeper explanation seeking meaning. It's not that these Gen Zers are longing to return to childhood, but that they are finding and expressing their values through their technological choices. And there's a lesson here for everyone. Humans have many needs, food, shelter, sex, and so on. But humans also feel the urge to find meaning in life. Meaning is different from happiness. Though happiness and meaning are often correlated, meaning doesn't necessarily include the pleasure that characterizes happiness. 
Meaningful pursuits may involve struggle, suffering, or even sacrifice. Meaning also lasts longer, whereas happiness is fleeting. What does meaning do for people? At its core, meaning is about identifying one's values and making choices to develop oneself as a person. It allows a person to engage with the various aspects of their personality, the multitudes contained therein, as Walt Whitman wrote. Put differently, meaning is about weaving a personal narrative from the facts of life, and it really is a need, not just something that's nice to have. Meaning is what makes life valuable and worth living. Why do people adopt one technology over another? According to what scholars call technology acceptance model, people consider two major aspects when choosing a technology, its perceived usefulness and its perceived ease of use. But certainly there are other considerations, especially for personal technologies. People choose some technologies for the way they contribute to meaning, and the search for meaning extends beyond choosing a technology to the way a person uses and experiences it. For example, many people use social media in constructing their sense of self. In my own research, I discerned four themes involved in people's meaningful experiences with technology. Number one, presence. People choose formats and technologies that will help them be more present and attentive during the experience. Two, centripetal, centripetal force. A person's relationship with the technology begins with a central practice, but gradually expands to become a bigger part of their life. For example, a person's photography practice becomes more meaningful. They may find themselves printing photos, curating their collection, and shopping for more equipment. Three, curiosity. A sense of wonder and interest guides the experience. Number four, self-construction. Meaningful experiences with technology contribute to the person's sense of self. In my research on ultra-distance runners who run races even longer than marathons, I saw all these elements at play. Runners chose particular shoes, GPS, watches, sensors, and software, or avoided them in part to be more present with their bodies. This can make the running itself more meaningful, along with other activities such as uh, writing race recaps, keeping a training log, and sharing photos. Over time, running becomes a central part of a person's identity. They become a runner. In the end, long-distance running is not always enjoyable, but it is definitely meaningful. And so technology, whether it's the kind associated with running or some other activity, becomes a key way people can discern their values and make choices that support and better embody those values. In this context, using a standalone digital camera immediately enhances the meaningfulness of an experience. Meaning is about exercising choice, and nowadays most people don't own a camera at all. They just use their smartphone. Digital cameras also enable presence. You need to remember to carry the camera around, and in return, it won't give you the notifications to sh or show you the other apps while you're shooting. A 2008 Nikon Coolpix S520, one example of the kinds of digital cameras seeing a resurgence today, Simon Speed, Wikipedia Commons. That goes for any standalone camera, but old cameras in particular have a set of qualities that help users make meaning. First, the image quality is poorer. But on social media, photos that get posted are less about polish and precision and more about sharing experiences and telling stories.
A social media theorist, Nathan Jurgensen, writes in his book, The Social Photo, as a medium, social photography becomes an important means to experience something not representable as an image, but instead as a social process, an appreciation of uh, impermanence for its own sake. As a person chooses which photo to share and how to edit them, they are expressing their views and developing their sense of self. To some extent, smartphone photo filters allow for some of this expression, but old digital cameras produce different kinds of visual effects and lack the automated features designed to professionalize the look of each image. Older cameras also introduce challenges in getting the images onto social media. They require cable, software, and multiple steps to transfer the images. It's a far cry from one-click image generated with artificial intelligence. What this means is that photography involves many more activities beyond simply taking photos. Photography becomes a bigger part of one's life. All this friction increases a person's involvement in the process, inviting choices along the way. This is precisely the thinking behind the slow technology movement, which aims to design technology for goals like self-reflection rather than efficiency or productivity. Research on meaningful design shows people from stronger atta- form stronger attachments to products when they have to make more choices or get more involved. When it comes to finding meaning in older forms of photography, whether you use a digital camera or a film camera, the slower process of creating and sharing images outweighs the speed, efficiency, and crisp imagery of smartphone cameras. The meaning hidden within old digital cameras contains broader lessons. In recent years, critics have bemoaned the rupturing of social institutions and the transformation of digital platforms into places that merely serve as vehicles to sell ads and collect data from users. During the pandemic, life itself threatened to go digital with the all-hype surrounding the metaverse. I believe that a key to living well in the near future is to identify where you can create choices so you don't feel like you're drifting along at the mercy of algorithms and the whims of big tech. Perhaps you could start a chapter of the Luddite Club, as a group of teens in Brooklyn recently did, and play board games in the park on weekends. Perhaps you could opt for a paper book rather than a podcast, specifically because you can't do something else while you're reading it. On the surface, deliberately rejecting the latest, flashiest forms of technology may seem like a problem. You'll be left behind and miss out. But, on the other hand, slowing down life by engaging with slower technology creates space to make choices more thoughtfully in relation to your values and cultivate more meaningful involvement in your own life. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's great that these Gen Zers are embracing the older camera technology. I think it's fantastic. And hey, if it helps the big camera company sell more of their once thought to be obsolete point-and-shoot cameras, maybe they'll put some of them back into production, or maybe they'll just leave it and let these youngsters find them on eBay and places like that, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, what have you. All right, I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. 
If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Apple's 29-year-old landmark QuickTake 100 camera falters in 2023. Released nearly three decades ago in 1994, the QuickTake 100 was Apple's first digital camera and among the very first digital cameras available to general consumers. But as much of an impact as it had back then, it has not aged well. Photographer Gordon Lang of Camera Labs has reviewed the iconic Quick Take as part of his retro review series. Before looking at the Quick Take 100, it's worthwhile to consider Apple is in the early to mid-1990s. It's easy to think about Apple as a massive, highly successful company given the ubiquity of the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Silicon-powered Mac computers today. However, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for Apple nearly 30 years ago. In the summer of 1993, Apple laid off nearly 15% of its worldwide staff. It also launched the Newton Personal Assistant, a product that ultimately flopped. That same summer, Apple also lost its copyright infringement case against Microsoft, a crushing blow that was four costly years in the making. Although Apple was hitting impressive sales marks with its computers, the company was in the early stages of a challenging period that culminated in a historically lousy quarter in 1997 that wiped out nearly the entire company's profits of the 1990s. The reason for that stroll down memory lane is to emphasize that Apple wasn't swimming in the cash reserves it has today. And the Cupertino-based tech giant wasn't quite as free to embark on risky business ventures as it is now. Nonetheless, Apple launched the QuickTake series in 1994 with the QuickTake 100, entering a new product segment for the company. Among the first of its kind, the digital camera was built in collaboration with Kodak, which had been developing CCD-based digital cameras since the 1970s, albeit primarily for professional and industrial usage. The QuickTake 100 and 150, both made by Kodak, helped kickstart what would eventually become a revolution in the photography market. Time Magazine named the QuickTake 100 among the most influential gadgets from 1923 to 2010. The QuickTake 100 was made special by its emphasis on ease of use. The camera launched in June of 1994 for $749, about $1,500 in today's dollars. Apple's industrial design chops were entirely on display with the QuickTake 100. Even though it looks dated by today's standard, it was sleek and stylish in 1994. The camera launched in two models, one for the Macintosh and the other for Windows, and shipped with bundled software and serial cables specific to the host operating system. At the heart of the QuickTake 100 is a Kodak CCD image sensor with a whopping 640 by 480 resolution. It's a 307 kilopixel sensor, which sounds better than 0.37 megapixels. However, in 1994, a camera that cost $750 and produced full-color images wasn't just unusual. It was wholly unique. Digital photography had never been so accessible. Storage is an issue. The camera features internal memory, which is convenient, but there is no way to expand it. 
The camera holds 32 standard 320 by 240 pixel images or a mere eight of its 307 kilopixel shots. When the camera is full, photographers have only two options, neither of which are especially appealing. The camera can be plugged into a computer to download the images or the entire memory must be wiped. Selectively deleting images is not possible. The Quick Take 100 has a fixed focal length lens equivalent to around 50 millimeters. The lens can only focus as close as around 4 feet or 1.2 meters, ruling out arm's length selfies, although admittedly those were less popular three decades ago than they are now. The camera handled automatic exposure, including shutter speed ranging from 1/30th to 1/175th of a second, and aperture spanning from f2.8 to f16. The camera's fixed ISO is equivalent to around ISO 85 speed, uh, film speed. As Lang observes, the most challenging aspect of using the Apple Quick Take 100 today is its lackluster image quality, paltry memory, or relatively useless rear display. Photographers can only use the screen to view information, not images. The issue with the Quick Take 100 in 2023 is finding a way to access photos. They're iffy, quality aside. The camera only works alongside its, uh, its original software, requiring anyone using it to find a computer that can run the software. Lang couldn't get it to work using emulation and was instead forced to track down old hardware. By the way, the Quick Take 100 doesn't record JPEG files either. The Quick Take's images are shot in a proprietary QTK format, which modern software won't recognize even if you somehow manage to move the files through a chain of increasingly modern computers. You must instead convert the files to JPEG using the original software. As groundbreaking as the Apple Quick Take 100 was in 1994 and as impressive of an accomplishment it represents to consumers nearly 30 years ago, it's a pain to work with in 2023. Lang's retro review series has featured many old cameras, most of which have oddities and quirks. But as he says, using the Quick Take 100 in the modern day proved to be the most frustrating experience I've had on this channel, packed with caveats and catch-22s. The camera itself is okay, but its limited capabilities and severe impracticality render it a vintage camera worth skipping. Sometimes products are better left in people's memories. With the benefit of nostalgia, the Quick Take 100's blemishes are less noticeable. The camera belongs in the past where it's easier to focus on what made it special rather than what makes it awful now. Lang's full written review on Camera Labs includes more sample images, additional camera and technology videos are available on Yang's Lang's YouTube channel, Dino Bytes. And he did get some decent images out of this old camera, but yeah, from the sounds of it, it's definitely not a camera I would want to wrestle with in this day and age. Now, I do have my very first digital camera, which was actually a Sony Mavica, and mine was one of the models. I can't remember the model number directly off the top of my head, but it was one that wrote the photos to a three and a half inch floppy drive, believe it or not. So... Talk about a painfully slow process. However, when I found my replacement one to replace the one I originally had, which was stolen many, many moons ago, I was able to go on Amazon and find a USB floppy drive, external floppy drive, so that I can still use that camera today, even though the images are truly abysmal at that paltry resolution. <laughs> The winning aerial photos from the SkyPixel 2023 competition.
Skypixel, one of the most popular aerial imagery online communities in the world, has announced the winners of the 8th Annual Photo and Video Contest. Co-organized with DJI, the competition, which was started in 2014, brought in more than 65,000 entries, which is a 120% increase from last year. The Skypixel platform hosts over 42 million users and says that thousands of aerial images and videos are uploaded daily. Quote, perhaps what drew more submissions than ever to this year's contest was its central theme. Quote, the story behind. With this concept in mind, Skypixel called upon users to share what mattered to them most, both with the photo and video work they submitted and the reflections they shared on their submission page, the competition says. Stories filled each of the contest categories from nature and travel to city and sports. While the quality of images remains high, the organization of the competition is slightly different this year than in previous years. For 2023, Skypixel named two annual best work prizes, one grand prize for a video submission and another for a photo submission. Additionally, the organization named top 10 top videos and 10 top photos. There is additionally 10 nominated winners that include five photos and five videos and a final 10 people's choice winners that are also divided evenly between five photos and five videos. The grand prize winners each receive over 15,000 in prizes that include the Hasselblad 907X Anniversary Edition Kit, a trophy, and an award certificate. Top 10 photo and top 10 video winners will each receive the Mavic 3 Fly More Combo DJI RC Pro or its DJI credit equivalent, a trophy, and an award certificate with a total value of $4,048. The 10 nominated prizes will each receive the Osmo Action 3 Adventure Combo, an award certificate with a total value of $439. And finally, the 10 People's Choice Prize winners will each receive the Osmo Mobile 6, an award certificate with a total value of $159. As the six or as the Skypixel 8th Annual Photo and Video Contest draws to a close, the work shared in these three months revealed that all over the world, the passion for exploration, wonder, and storytelling is stronger than ever, Skypixel says. Quote, whether from the ground with a handheld camera or above with an aerial drone, the possibilities for discovery are still endless. DJI and Skypixel are grateful to the community for creating a reminder of the beauty around us and look forward to the continued works to be shared on the platform. In contrast to previous years, DJI and Skypixel want to keep most of the viewing of the winners on the Skypixel platform, so the photos above are not fully indicative of the winners. For that, please see the Skypixel 2023 results page. And I think that's cool. I hadn't heard of this annual contest, but I might have to get involved in it for next year. Uh, yeah, might be a good idea. Might be a fun thing to do. And now we'll head on over to Canon Rumors for our rumors portion of the show. Canon releases firmware update 1.3.0 for the EOS R10 and R7. Canon has released a minor firmware update for the R10 and R7. Version 1.3.0, number one, compatible with Speedlight EL5, the automatic dimming function of the AF assist light is not supported. Two, added support for the RFS 55-210 F5-71 ISSTM, and three, fixed minor bugs. You can download the firmware for the EOS R10 or R7 at Canon USA's website. Canon has released a minor firmware update for the Canon EOS R6. 
firmware version 1.8.0, it is now possible to crop and resize images during image transfer to an FTP server and two fixed minor bugs. And again, you can download the version 1.8.0 for the EOS R6 from the Canon USA support section of their website. New Nikon savings in the UK up to 250 euros off the Z5, Z6 II, and Z7 II cameras. In addition to the 10% off Nikkor lenses sale, today Nikon UK started offering up to 250 euros off on the Z5, Z6 II, and Z7 II cameras. This offer ends on March 30th. See the full list of discounted Nikon gear at the accompanying link in this article in the show notes at WEX. Reminder, the 10% instant Nikon lens discount in Europe is ending this weekend. The 10% discount on Nikon lenses in Europe is ending on March 6, 2023 at Amazon DE, Amazon IT, Amazon French, Amazon Spain, Photo Earnhardt, Photo Koch, Calumet, Wex UK. The current Nikon USA rebates can be found at Adorama, B&H Photo, Paul's Photo, and Service Photo. And now from Fuji rumors, the Fujifilm GFX100 discontinued at some stores in Japan. In Japan, the first stores are marking the Fujifilm GFX100 as discontinued as reported by the Japanese website Absinant. The Fujifilm GFX100 was launched back in 2019, and it was definitely revolutionary for its time with a backside illuminated 102 megapixel sensor and IBIS, giving medium format speed and flexibility unseen until then in the digital medium format world. But then on January 27th, 2021, just one day after the birth of my son, Fujifilm launched the glorious Fujifilm GFX100S. A much smaller, much cheaper, much better ergonomics, in my opinion, than the GFX100. The GFX100S was pretty much superior under every aspect of the GFX100. So much so that Fujifilm USA launched arguably their all-time best advertising about the GFX100S with the subtle submission that there is almost no point in buying the GFX100 anymore, in addition to give Fuji Rumors a shout-out. Sales for the Fujifilm GFX100 plumbed plumped after the GFX100S announcement, and since two-plus years, it hardly sells anymore. Miraculously, though, Fujifilm still kept producing it, albeit in very limited numbers. And in fact, you can still find it in stock pretty much everywhere in the USA and Europe. But it seems that this is going to change soon as Japanese stores are starting to inform their customers that there won't be any new shipments for this camera. You can find the Fujifilm GFX100 at B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Adorama. The Camland 32mm f1.1 displayed at CP+. Recently, I told you how Camland unveiled the Camland 70mm f1.1 for the Fujifilm X at CP+. In that article, I told you that it will be their second f1.1 lens for Fujifilm X mount after the Camland 50mm 1.1. But that was not correct. Camland is going to offer also the Camland 32mm f1.1 lens. You can actually see it also on the images I've shared in the original post, as well as on the French website, Phototrend, image on top of this article and link here. So we have three f1.1 lenses from Camland, the Camland 32mm, 50mm, and the 50mm Mark II, and the 70mm. In addition to that, to complete the list, there's also a Camelan 15mm f2 that you can find only at AliExpress. 
Thanks to Fuji, uh, Fuji Rumors readers who anonymously informed me about this and allowed us to extend our list of Camland lenses for Fujifilm X mount. There's also the Camland 8mm f3, the 15mm f2, the 21mm f1.8, the 28mm f1.4, the 28f2.8, the 32.1.1, the 50.1.1, the FS50mm f1.1 Mark II. And those are all the current lenses from Camland. Wild rumor, new Sony A1 firmware is being tested by the Chinese Independent Cinematographers Association. A Chinese Weibo account claims the Sony A7 or A1 firmware is being tested by Chinese Independent Cinematographers Association. Quote, recently, some photographers have upgraded the latest firmware for the A1, which improves usability and AF performance and carries over some of the features of the A7R5, such as subject recognition. No idea if this is true. All we know for sure is that Sony said the A7 IV and the Z1F would get a firmware update in spring to make them compatible with the new creator's app. Here is my summary of all the firmware update rumors, and you can see his video on his accompanying YouTube channel, which you can find in this article in the show notes. New EU deals, 730 euros off on the A1. There are many deals for Europeans that do not that do run this weekend only. Use code Alpha One to save 730 euro on the Sony A1 sold by Photocotch. There are more codes for many more Sony cameras and lenses at Photocotch. Ton of Samyang Sigma Tamron E mount lens discounts at Photo Earnhardt. Ton of storage deals, Lacey, Samsung, and so forth at Amazon DE. And those are all the news and rumors for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap episode 321 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. If you're not currently subscribed to the show, why not? It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you anything but a second to hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast catcher. Now, remember, I currently have my latest contest still ongoing. There's 46 days left in which you can get your entries in for a chance to win a Platypod Extreme flat tripod. The contest is sponsored by Platypod, not the show, just the contest. They provided the grand prize. And I want to shout out and give thanks once again to Dr. Larry Tiefenbrunn, as well as my friend Skip Cohen, uh, who are both 
Well, Dr. Larry Tiefenbrunn, of course, is the owner, inventor, and CEO of Platypod, and my friend Skip Cohen is their marketing director. So I want to give out a shout to both of them. Also wanted to remind my listeners to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. I will have a new video out later on today where I'll be doing an unboxing review of the TT Artisan's 27mm f2.8 lens for the Fujifilm X-Mount. All right, that's going to wrap this one up, folks. I will see you all again on Thursday.